As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Yes, and welcome to the Castle Dracula Horror Movie Podcast. On this podcast, and we are thrilled to be back, we talk about horror movies, vampire movies, and all-around awesomeness. And this week, we continue our musical horror retrospective with the, how to put this, the 1975 movie adaptation of Richard O'Brien's West End hit, The Rocky Horror Show, here called The Rocky Horror Picture Show, directed by Jim Sharman. I scroll that. It's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We were talking about Rocky Horror. It's kind of absurd, by the way, I know, to introduce Rocky Horror as if we've never heard of it. We are a podcast dedicated to cult movies, and this is, as Drew was pointing out, the original cult movie. Bear in mind, if you haven't seen today's film, we're going to be talking about it from the perspective of horror fans who have. So warning, spoilers ahead. I'm your host, Jason Henderson, author of the Alex Van Helsing Adventure, Triumph of Death and Hardback, an e-book from HarperCollins. With me are Drew Edwards, the creator of the long-running horror webcomic Halloween Man, which you can find at HalloweenMan.com. Say hello, Drew. Howdy. Howdy. Special guest, Jamie Barr, musician, pinup model, educator, and lead vocalist and upright bassist for Austin's premier all-female rock and roll band, Danger Cakes. Where you, which you can find uh, info about their new album, Dessert First, from Deep Eddie Records at DangerCakes.net. That was a mouthful. Jamie, say hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome back. I think the last time we talked to you was um, Carrie, or or actually, uh, no, you nightmare, were... Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas, that was on when I was on my Christmas sabbatical. Okay, and as always, color commentary from uh, attorney and host of the uh, mom podcast called Pod Moms, Julia Guzman. Say hello. 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 Okay. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is a parody tribute to the classic science fiction and horror movie B-movies. It introduces Tim Curry and features Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick along with cast members from the original London 1973 production. I mean, look who was cast who's still here in this movie. Meatloaf. Little Nell, Patricia Quinn, Richard O'Brien, who wrote the dang thing, Jonathan Adams as Dr. Scott, and still in limited release nearly 38 years after its premiere, it has the longest-running theatrical release in film history. 
Rocky Horror Picture Show gained notoriety as a midnight movie in 1977 when audiences began participating with the film in theaters. It is the first major film from a major studio to be in, a midnight, in the midnight movie market. It essentially invented the movie market. All of this is from Wikipedia and other sources. I'm going to stop explaining this movie so that we can skip right, because you've all heard of it. Let's skip right to First Impressions, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and then uh, we'll get into what, what, uh, what darkens my brow about Rocky Horror and what I'm worried about. So let's go Drew and Julia and Jamie and then Jason. Drew, first impressions, Rocky Horror. Um, for, first impressions is, is such a a loaded question with this movie because I, I I've seen it literally a gazillion times. I, I, <laughs> really? <laughs> probably. I, I I would gamble to say I've seen this movie possibly more than any other movie that I've ever seen, which isn't to say that it's my favorite movie ever made, but it is a movie I get a lot of enjoyment out of. Um, I think the music is a lot of, there's a lot of great songs in here. I think, honestly, it's great that we're following um, Little Shop of Horrors with this because it's always the music in this movie. Complements the music in that movie very well. I've also had a long-standing theory that... uh, you can kind of get to know that the Rocky Horror is somewhat of a musical uh, Rorschach test. Mm. Uh, you can kind of tell a little bit about somebody by which character they gravitate to. By the way, Eddie. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway um, I like this movie a lot, so much so that, it, uh, that uh, again, I've seen it a gazillion times. Uh as for what I can add into a discussion about a movie that's literally been discussed. Oh, we're going to find new things to discuss about it. All right. Well, some All right. Julia, first impressions, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, I don't remember my first impressions because they were like a million years ago. Literally. <laughs> no. um, but uh, the, I do, um, I, I am appreciative that we're doing it because I was the one who requested it because I just thought it would be really fun to watch it again and actually watch it because i mean the thing is whenever i watched it as you know in in high school and college it was as a participant and not as a viewer you know as a spectator yeah so um i think it's interesting to watch it without and i couldn't not participate in it i mean i just couldn't not i couldn't help but say the things that i knew to say you know but i mean to not be screaming and throwing things and you know standing up and doing dancing and all that, um I, that's that was an interesting experience. So um, you know, I I'd say that as a film, it definitely has. It's so it's so different from anything else. So it's definitely worth seeing, even if you're not participating. But without the fear experience and without the whole, you know, the um, the experience period um, of of Rocky Horror, I don't think it's it's near. It's I mean, I think I think that the experience of going in the theater with at the midnight show is half of the quality of it half of what makes it great. Wow. Okay. Um so the the, the you're gonna you're gonna speak up for the experience a little bit. We're all gonna use the word literally a lot. Um Jamie, <laughs> what are your yeah. first impressions? First well, impressions of Rocky impression, Horror. Let's see, was when I was a teenager and 
I remember getting <laughs> quite an eyeful and being very shocked and surprised because uh, I think I grew up much in the vein of Janet. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, like I said, I grew up in a very, you know, Catholic, you know, Irish Catholic influenced, uh, you know, household. And so, yeah, this was basically sex ed for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, so I had never, I don't think I'd ever even heard of a transvestite before. I remember being like, what exactly is that? And, you know, that's saying something, but, uh, you know, it was on, uh, I think it was on Showtime and, you know, or Cinemax, what I always like to call Cinemax, you know, and that's, uh, you know, it kind of showed a different uh, light of sexuality that, you know, mm. I had never even thought of before. It was just kind of funny, and I don't know. That's, but, uh, that's... I, I enjoyed it. I actually never have seen it at a live shadow cast or, you know, the, the theatrical version. Um, I always have wanted to, but it seems to have never worked out. But I always have a soft spot for this movie because, like I said, it was kind of... Uh, something that awakened, you know, like, wow, this other world than, you know, chocolate or vanilla. So you've only, (laughs) you've only experienced it as, as a, as a raunchy movie musical that you've caught on on cable. So you've never done the live. Singy is a virgin. Wow, that's Mm -hmm. fascinating. And Rocky Horror terminology. (laughs) So you're truly, yeah, to use Rocky Horror terminology, she's a virgin. That is truly amazing. I mean, I'm, I was, because I was sitting here trying to Be imagine. Be gentle with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was trying to, and, and you're the performer among us. I mean, that's, uh, that, uh-huh. that's uh, so, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, I mean, Julia, you, uh, you haven't been out there in a band in a while. I know you're interested in getting back out there, but the, the um, I, I said that because I didn't want to leave you out of, <laughs> but, um, it's okay. I'm I, I'm not offended that I'm not that you don't consider me a performer compared with with someone who's actually in a band and has released albums. I used to actually harass you in a band. It's a long time ago, but I did. I, the um, but but I was trying to figure out, you know, what it would be like to be somebody who had never actually been to a midnight performance of of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I was I was thinking, well, where in the world will we find such a specimen? That just won't happen in the wild. <laughs> And you wouldn't even have guessed one right, was already right, exactly. on the show. <laughs> and there's still, you know, I I picked up the the paper this weekend. It's showing at the Inwood in Dallas at midnight. You know that, so so it hasn't gone away. All right, for me, I've had a complicated relationship with Rocky Horror Picture Show because I didn't start attending the midnight performances until you know I was in high school, which made total sense. And by that point, you know, Rocky Horror came out in '75. Uh, and I was in high school 10 or 12 years after that, you know, from like 85 to 89. So Rocky was in full swing, and I went several times in high school. But the main context for me with Rocky Horror was listening to the original cast recording because when I was driving around with people in high school, we had Rocky Horror in constant rotation with sort of other stuff. You know, it was in with Camelot and Chorus Line and 42nd Street and Bad Out of Hell and and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So it was the cast recording, and yes, don't even get me started on what kind of friends I was hanging out with. It, you know, I was running with a wild crowd that was spinning 42nd Street. Uh, and <laughs> but, uh, wild crowd that camel going. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly sad. But, I, 
but truly true. Anyway, we um so I you know for me this was this was a uh, a musical that I was aware of, and then you'd go out to the experience, and the experience was something else. The experience was almost as though it could have been almost any movie, except for that you know where you know people have learned to recite lines to it, except for that's not completely the case because Rocky Horror Picture Show is a very strange movie. So. Um, let's get straight into that, in fact. So I, I, that's my point. I come to this as a fan of the picture and, um, you know, or, or, and, and as a fan of the music. And I want to figure out um, right off the bat, does it make sense, bearing in mind that Jamie has only seen it this way, where you, you, know, you watch it on a TV screen, does it make sense to watch Rocky Horror like this? Are, in other words, are we doing this movie some kind of disservice um you know because we you know we watched horror of dracula and horror of dracula doesn't have lines that you throw back at it there's you know is i think what i'm saying is are we being disrespectful to the rocky horror picture show to always seem to watch it in this in this means that makes fun of it anybody want to i don't i don't think they're actually making fun of it Tell me more. So you think there's you think uh, there's a love there is a love for for Richard O'Brien? Absolutely. What is it, when you go to a live viewing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show? What do you feel if not love? That's true. There is a there is a great you know, I but but here's the thing. You have like we open up with the lips at the beginning of, of Rocky Horror Picture Show, and you know and by the way at the end of this I want to hear everybody's favorite song, but. Um, we open up in Rocky Horror Picture Show with the lips, and the lips begin singing the song Science Fiction Double Feature by Richard O'Brien. And, well, and Richard O'Brien sings it, in fact. This is the guy who plays, who plays Riff. And that song is so, you know, it, it, it gives away so much about, about how much this guy knows about, about monster movies and science fiction movies and, and all that groovy stuff. And also how sort of wackadoo his... Uh, I shouldn't even say that. How deviant his sexuality is from 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 your sort of everyday vanilla sexuality. And Richard O'Brien would be the first person to 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 say that about himself. And that's really kind of cool. And and I what I worry about is that the notion of shouting lines back and forth to it, you miss out on the lyrics. You miss out on how interesting some of these some of these compositions are. But but. You know, yeah, again. the thing is, the, the, hmm. this movie would not have survived were it not for the body and participation, the whole cult aspect of it. I mean, there, nobody would have ever seen it beyond 1975 if it hadn't been for the fact that people latched on. Yeah, it would have been this so weird dramatic oddity. Yeah, you can't do a disservice to a film by making it by making it survive, basically, when it wouldn't have otherwise. Wow, what an interesting thought. Yeah, that's that's basically somehow this is the way that Rocky Horror Picture Show bought its uh bought its immortality. Long, long because yeah, you're right, people, there's countless right? you know, at long last love came out around nineteen seventy five. It's not like people are digging that up. You know, um Yeah, and it's not an Oscar winner, so it's not like you're gonna pull it up every time you're looking at, you know, Oscar winning films. Or well, in fact, it's worth remembering that Rocky Horror Picture Show did very poorly at the box office initially. Um, this was a big hit on the stage. I mean, it was huge. 
but it was a cult hit. It opened up first in like a little place that seated 60 people, six zero, you know, so that you'd have a, this really intimate space. So this was a truly punk rock show, you know, where where people were were it, you'd be right up there next to the performers, and then it got bigger and it went to the West End and it got bigger, and then they brought it to uh, Hollywood. And by the way, at this point. Meatloaf has joined the cast, and I, I, you know, I never think of Meatloaf in the context of being a performer who's jetting back and forth across the Atlantic because he's he's playing meat, uh, he's playing Eddie both <laughs> both in the it United looks, States and it in England. Looks like he may have lost Drew, according to the uh, the chat room. Oh, I'm sh- okay. Well, if he lost <laughs> I'm sure Drew, I'm sure he'll come back. Um, Jamie, do we still have Jamie? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost poor Drew. By the way, okay. I forgot to say earlier, you guys were all talking about who you um, identified with. I was identified with Magenta only because my hair was like Magenta. Oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah. not red. You it just needed red, a good was, deep conditioner. No. Yeah, right. It wasn't red, but it was dying and it's frizzy. And, um, and oh. plus I was very, at the time when I was watching it, I was very sarcastic and bitter and dark. <laughs> so I think that was, but although I have to say, Jamie, that my upbringing was very much, very Janet-esque like yours was. <laughs> but by the, by yeah. the time I was watching it, I was, I, was, I was rejecting that whole, you know, side of myself and going, I'm wild. Even though I was not really remotely wild. Well, I, mean, I wanted to be. I was a virgin when I first saw this movie, and I know you guys called me a virgin earlier for not seeing it, you know, theatrically, but, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, like, I was, like, wholeheartedly <laughs> and I was just, you know, amazed. Like I said, I had never, ever seen anything like that. Um, I didn't see my first rated R movie until I was actually 16, and that was when I, I snuck in to see the movie Go before and had bought tickets with all my friends to go see Never Been Kissed. You know, wow. how I, <laughs> funny. Go? Yeah. So, That's hilarious. Like, that, this, that is, this is the that, same year that I saw my first rated R movie was like, I, you know, go from Disney to well, Rocky Horror the crazy, that, that's what's interesting to me, is the crazy sort of deviance of, of Rocky Horror because you have – you have the. We're going to get to the the uh, characters in, in just a second. In fact, but you have you have uh, Frank, who is who is this transvestite, and he's a very sort of muscular, in your face, really enjoyable transvestite. He's having a really great time with it, and you know all these characters are so strange, and there's so much like like there's so many sexual peccadilloes on display. It's really exotic i mean it's it's almost to the point where it it moves all the way over into being kind of kind of a late night joke and i think that's almost a that's almost a way that that a young person can be introduced to a lot of this stuff in all, in a pretty kind of safe way in other words the deviance of rocky horror picture show is so much fun and so out there that i find it a lot less threatening than I don't know. It doesn't feel pornographic. It feels it feels in a strange way actually pretty gentle. Although, you know, the some of the songs are really quite dark. I mean, the, you know, um Superheroes at the end is an ex- is an extremely broody little song. Um well, I remember my mom walking in the room when I had it on cuz once I saw it for the first time, I it was like on all the time, of course. And my mom walked into the room and she was like, "What are you watching?" Right. <laughs> and yeah, you know, she didn't know what it was, and it's 
I, you know, it's kind of funny that she didn't realize at that point because, you know, it obviously had been out for almost 20 years at this point. And, uh, you know, I was, when I said, I was like, oh, Mom, it's okay, it's a musical. And she was like, oh, okay. You know, I, that's I, how it was in my family because I, I was a theater dork. So, you know, I, I got away with cabaret because of that, too. <laughs> so that I, really I know that my parents... I doubt that my parents know what Rocky Horror is now. I mean, uh, you know, it's just not something that would have, like, ever penetrated their psyche. You know what I mean? Why I would really, I? My, exactly. my parents were well aware of Rocky Horror. I mean, you know, because they were they were both class of '69, so this was this was coming out. You know, and they were in their early 20s. You couldn't escape this particular movie. So I remember asking my dad, probably, you know. I don't know, when I was older, I was like, what's Rocky Horror? And he goes, oh, I, I mean, I can't remember, but he explained it fairly well, but it, it was it was very sort of, very lackadaisical. It was like, how oh, it's, it's about this transvestite from outer space. I mean, <laughs> which, which, you know, what what in the world, it sounds like a David Bowie movie if you say it that way. You go, oh, okay. It's the man who fell to earth only with cross-dressing. Um, so, so, all right. Now. Let's, Let's be be fair, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a thousand times more entertaining than The Man Who Fell to Earth. Well, you know, and that might actually prove the point that, that, uh, you know, Rocky has to be the way it is to survive as long as it does. Um, I think there are really great songs here, too. But but before we get to the songs, I want to get to some of these performances. Starting with uh, Tim Curry. Okay, so what happens is, but very briefly, just for those who want to be reminded, um, we can pretend you haven't, you both have and haven't seen the movie. Brad and Janet are a couple of clean-cut kids from a place called Denton, wherever the heck that is. It is not Dallas Denton. It's some right in North Texas. It is some imaginary, imaginary but very American Denton. Remember though, being written by British British uh, writer-singer Richard O'Brien, who was obsessed with American film. So he comes up with, with uh, college lovebirds, Brad and Janet, who go to a wedding and are celebrating their own engagement and go out for a long drive and wind up meeting. Um, they wind up at this, this creepy castle, and they meet after a lot of, after a lot of sort of, Weird things. They see some of the early early songs, and they meet Frank Inferter. And Frank Inferter is Tim Curry, and he is the central point of the entire film. He is how best to put this. He is a tall, very muscular, fairly lean British man with you know really awesome curly hair, not unlike Julius actually. But you know, and and he's he wears. What is that thing he's wearing? A bodice, I suppose. And, <laughs> teddy. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing sort of a teddy sort of thing, and uh, and panties and these high-heeled boots, sort of Gene Simmonsy sort of boots, and he has some awesome tattoos. He has one on his hip and one on his shoulder, and he does not look like a woman. Frankenfurter is the mad scientist, and he looks like a sort of beautiful man in women's clothing. And his song, as he introduces himself, is he's this quote-unquote sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. He is so gender crazy that it is, that it is, is an amazing performance. And what do you guys 
especially you, the virgin who was watching this, what, what did you make of Tim Curry in this role? Um, well, Jamie's actually having to log back in. Oh, no. I called on Jamie just because yeah. you got cut off. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear anything you just said. <laughs> He's talking. He wants to know what you thought, think about, he wants to know what you think about Tim Curry as Frank and Furter. Yes. I can't imagine anyone else ever being Frankfurter, and everyone who tries is just. And I want to say that in, in the trivia, in the trivia part of the um, of the IMDb for this, it says that Mick Jagger wanted to play Frankenfurter. I'm wondering what that would have been like. Would have been, that would have been really interesting as well. <laughs> well, Jim Sharman, you know, the, the the director really demanded that he get to use the stage the stage cast, and the reason yeah. I think that's really good is that you know there are some bits that Tim Curry does. Like when he when he meets Brad and Janet and he says, "You both look like you're pretty groovy." He does a take to the camera as he's walking by. He's always be, and he sort of he he twists he curls his lip, and you realize <clears throat> he's played this role at that point. In other words, by the time Tim Curry gets in front of the camera, he's already played this role literally hundreds, maybe a thousand <laughs> times. <laughs> <laughs> he he has he has been doing this role so much that he has bits, physical business, eye rolls, tongue curls, lip stuff, you know, Snarl. things he's going to do with his hands, snarls. Every moment has something that he's tried on audiences over and over and over again. It would have been inter- even go ahead. The interesting thing and I don't think that Mick Jagger could have pulled this off and here here is why um you you brought up him being like muscular and he's not really trying to look like a woman the character of frankenfurter straddles the line of both being effeminate and hyper macho right and i don't think anybody else could have pulled that off right (laughs) that's right yeah it's a it's a it's a mind blowing thing because he certainly loves the effeminacy kind of stuff. You know, he has scenes towards the end where he puts on this sort of Joan Collins get up and and you know for the song I'm going home and and everything and and he he digs that stuff. It's just a very interesting role I, and I you know I, the audience has got to check out if anybody listening to this hasn't seen it. If you go to YouTube, there are a couple of interviews with Tim Curry from around the period. And one is from this TV show in Britain in like 1976 when he was just basically touring the movie. And he's out of character. And he's this, he's very normal, like, he, you know, his hair is parted in the, in the middle and he's he's got this plaid shirt on and he looks so sort of, unimpressive and quiet and shy. It's so interesting to see him, and then they keep playing clips from the movie and how, how sort of out there he is in the performance of uh, in the performance of Frank. But, I mean, if you listen to the cast recording, you know, even his readings for these songs is different, you know, because it's a couple of years between the time he records the cast recording and the time he records uh, the movie recording. And, and if you've listened to one, you get used to the phrasing, and so then you get thrown off as you're like thinking your way through or even singing your way through the, um, not that I would do that, but the, uh, the, the (laughs) (laughs) all right. So that's Frank, who is the plum role. I mean, I totally get why 
why Mick would want to do it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm really glad that they got Tim, but they also, they've got, they had to cast this hero and heroine, you know, the mezzo soprano, uh, Janet and the, and the tenor Brad, and they are played by Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick. These are two people, honestly, and I mentioned them together because I don't think we need to spend very much time on Brad and Janet. I uh, so you can't say Brad and Janet without in my head. In my head, I immediately go, and this is like we should do the little um, the little disclaimer here that there's going to be language because we're talking about Rocky Horror. There's going to be and language. You're talking about Rocky so. freaking, yes. <laughs> but I can't I can't hear Brad and Janet without going asshole slut. <laughs> yes. Like it's just so trained in my head that that's just how you have to say that after every time you say it. That's right. That's right. And I keep feeling like I need to explain these things to Jamie because she's never gone to a live performance. <laughs> but if you... I think they're there. I just, I'm not sure exactly what they are, so I just kind of look and... Okay. <laughs> the thing of it is, some performances are really, really organized, and they'll actually give you a handout with the stuff to shout. Some you, it doesn't work like that. You well, just and, have you can, to go. And, then, and now with the with the internet, which we didn't have when we were doing this as kids, um, you can find the guides. Like there's a guide at RockyHorrorFan.com. You know, there's a guide right. that says, I'm looking at it now. It says throwing. It says it has an uh, audience props section. It says throwing rule. Always throw up and back, never into the aisles at the stage or at the screen, unless you're in the back row, then throw up and forward. Bubbles, no rice. As with any wedding, when the bride and groom leave the church, blow your bubbles. See, we had rice when we were kids, you know, when we were young, but right. now they're now it's bubbles. And then you're right, like, because, because, because the ushers objected to the rice being thrown. Sure, of course. So I'm just saying, like, you know, there's like all the there's, there's a whole. I mean, there's there's um, there's etiquette. Uh, well, and the and the shouting, the the interactive part of the Rocky Horror experience, which is where you would go and you might dress in costume. Usually, it works it it, it works like this. And I'll recap it, even though you guys know Jamie may or not. But you know, the the way it works is this: show starts at midnight. This this happened from the very first time they started showing it. Basically, they started showing Rocky um, at midnight back in back in '75. After it failed, a couple months later, they booked it. Um, in the midnight showings, and they started doing it. And then uh, within about a year, this weird uh, experience had started happening. Show starts at midnight, you show up. You can be in costume or not. Usually um, a cast has already planned they'll be the regular guy. You'll run into a guy, he says, yeah, yeah, no, I'm Frank uh, over at the... uh, over at the Inwood, you know, and uh, I'm going to do it for another six weeks or so, and then this other guy's going to be Frank. And so you have a small cast, and they're in full costume, and they will often act out the entire show down front on the, you know, below the proscenium underneath the screen. So that will happen. Um, some shows don't actually have that. Meanwhile, the audience is actually both throwing props, displaying props, and shouting out cued. Uh, interactive dialogue. So I'm trying to think of something that's even clean enough for a podcast. Well, I mean, like I said, I have it. I do have it. Um, although I just lost the screen, I do have it in front of me. So it's like, for example, right at the beginning, they start out, and it's the the science fiction double features playing. And so it says, like, um, you know, told us where it is, where we. Uh, where we stand, and everybody says, on our heads, and then in a celluloid jam, yay, smuckers, I mean, this is the kind of stuff, 
it came from, and everybody's like, where? Outer space. And they're like, thank you. You know, so it's stuff like that where. Yeah, that, you're just taking you know, and, advantage and of every. Pauses, and whenever there's pauses in the movie, then there will always be the people yelling a question like, you know, what? And then he'll answer the question and stuff like that. So it's it's really fun. It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It, well, but and it has a regional flavor because depending on what theater you go to, they'll have developed different different uh, interactive dialogue. Now, with again, with the Internet, that's probably changing. You'll probably start to see all of that stuff blend together. But <clears throat> so, so that goes on, and I think it wasn't until about the same time that Jamie watched it for the first time was about the time that I finally saw it for the first time on video and not, and not in amongst that sort of live, that live experience. And a lot of people had joked about this because in Fame – the, the movie Fame, there's a guy who goes to Rocky and he gets up and yells at everybody to shut up because he's trying to watch the movie and they <laughs> and they yell at him that this is the experience here. You know, this is what we're here for. Um, so uh, that goes on. I don't remember how we got off. And, oh, yeah. Well, it was because Brad and Janet, you can't hear about Brad and Janet without wanting to call them an asshole and a slut. And that is just what you do when you're watching it, every time they mention either of those names, you're supposed to give them those monikers. That, it can like drive you crazy. Uh, it's not every time, but but it is like a first for sure. That's right. And but anyway, we we meet them at and they have this um, this duet. Mainly, it's Brad's song where he you know, damn it, Janet, and he's chasing her around this church and and. You know, I, I think he, if I recall, he's asked her to marry him, and we meet the rest of the cast of the movie because they're all in disguise. So we meet Richard O'Brien, who's in disguise as a guy that works at the church, and and you know, all of them are church people. And they're recreating the, the American Gothic painting. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> so, uh, I I don't know. What do we want to say? Is it, can we skip to the to the to Richard O'Brien or, or okay Susan Sarandon well, perfectly to, lovely. I think we have to talk about Brad and Janet at least a little bit because you know Brad and Janet are the audience they're being sucked into this weird weird world. Do they okay. bring? So I agree with you, and yes, you're right. We're supposed to be interested in their their innocence and their being seduced by the the wild wild world of of Frankenfurter. When they get to his place, but well, and that's a metaphor. I mean, that's a good. That's a metaphor for. I mean, any every everything that tears apart an innocent married couple once they expo once they're exposed to the real world. You know, because like these people are um, very sheltered and they just they only know each other, and then you know they they go into this world of you know sexuality and and drugs and all kinds of things going on. And I mean, that's I think that's a metaphor for. When what really happens in real life relationships when you have like high school sweethearts or whatever, then they go out into the real world and suddenly it's like, oh, there's not just us. There's like all this other stuff, and you know, hmm, I don't know if this is the right thing or what. Like the you know, there's all kinds of risks that um, that pull on on those relationships once you've kind of been exposed. Well, that's to what true. You know. No, I and I think that I, I I agree with you. I think that's that is what Brad and Janet are supposed to do for us. But at the same time, uh, so I just got finished watching my way through the whole Frankie and Annette series, right? And those movies are terrible. I mean, the performances from Frankie Avalon and, and Annette Funicello are not going to win any awards, right? Having said that, 
Frankie and Annette would have brought 300% more believable characterization to this than, than Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon. I cannot believe that Susan Sarandon becomes a fantastic actress. Well, she's because... not trying to be believable. It's that same kind of heightened overacting that's in Little Shop of Horrors. Well, no, that's a good point. That, that could very well be it. She might be directed say, hey, this is a broad performance. All you have to do is... That's is... absolutely what it, was, what it was. I mean, Jamie and I just watched an watched a interview with her where she says as much. Ah, interesting. There's so so they're playing kind of cartoon versions of high school students, which is cool. I mean, look, they're both they're both good looking. They're both beautiful. We can spend time with them. We don't feel bad about 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 being with them. You know, there's no moment where we're watching them and going, get them off the screen. Um, I I don't completely agree with the direction here. I kind of wish that they were. I wish that they had some character of their own, but. You know, but it's okay. We 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 get that their character is that they are innocent, you know, and that they are good. Brad is out to protect Janet, and he's out to figure out. Right down to, get to the tidy whities and the and the white slip and the white bra. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yes, um, yeah. So, uh, and in fact, <clears throat> how do how do they wind up in Frank's universe? They go for a drive. They get in the rain, and when they get broken down, we get probably. To my mind, the best song in the entire show. I, I love this song. The song that comes next is uh, "There's a Light Over at the Frankenstein Place," and yeah, that song too. Oh, it's a great song. I mean, it, it is. You know, it, it's. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it makes reference to this this other world. It's. It has. I don't know. I think it's a complicated song, and and I really enjoy it. And that's the one that actually brings them to, you know, they follow the light to this castle we've seen before, by the way, because it's Oakley Court, which is where they shot a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the Hammer movies. And I swear we've seen at least one movie in this actual podcast that was shot there. Um, so uh, let's see. They get to. They get to what they call the Frankenstein place, just as they're noticing a whole bunch of visitors showing up for the master's party on motorcycles. And they, they are introduced into the house by the next character that I want to talk about, which is um, the, the domestics. Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, Patricia Quinn as Magenta, and Nell Campbell as Little Nell. These are the people who introduce Brad and Janet into the household. But let me interject that before we meet any of those people, we have um, we have Charles Gray, who is kind of this um, omniscient oh, yeah. narrator I guy off on off to the side, and um, and he's a big part of the audience participation because every time you see Charles Gray, and again with the pardon the language, anyone who's out there, you, you, everyone always says, "Where's your fucking neck?" <laughs> because it's like the way he's you know positioned, you can't see his neck. So it's a constant gag throughout the entire film. That like you know whenever he says something then they're like unlike your fucking neck or whatever you know it's like the whole thing it just goes on and on and it's just so it's just so funny that I just can't not mention that because it's part it's such a great key part of the experience to me. I'm glad you brought that up. The uh, can, can oh, I say go ahead, something about Charles Gray real quick. Please, yeah, go crazy. I love the fact that he is in this because other than the, than the castle that you just mentioned, he's another tangible link yeah. back to the very movies they are lampooning because he is. In the Devil Rides Out, which is one of my favorite uh, 
Hammer movies. Oh, we've got to do The Devil Rides Out. I really love that movie. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. He's also Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, you know, Charles Gray, he was also, uh, God, he was Antonio in in a very popular BBC version of Merchant of Venice. I mean, Charles Gray is no slouch. He's He just happens to be here as the criminologist, a part that he probably recorded in all of 20 minutes <laughs> one day um, at, you know, Pinewood or wherever they're shooting this thing. And yeah, he plays the criminologist. He is this guy in a criminology office, look, you know, with a bunch of like strange big books and weirdly he's got comic books and magazines and and maps and 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 magnifying glasses. And he's telling us the story of of what happened that day with Brad and Janet. Unclear why. I guess he's he's telling us that it's it's like a reality show. He's telling us what happens to these crazy kids, you know, on the night that that uh, you know all the events that we're witnessing happened. I don't know if that's supposed to mean that Brad and Janet are dead at the end. I hope not. It looks to me at the end like they may well survive, and we'll get there in a minute. But uh, okay, so yes, he's fantastic. I love Charles Gray. You know, my heart goes out to him. So we get to. Um, the house, and they are, the door is opened by Riff Raff. And Riff is an extraordinarily skinny man um, with stringy blonde hair that's like really and, receding. And he's, hunched, he's hunched over. And he has a hunch, yes. And he wears, he wears this really groovy kind of like gravedigger's costume. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's, it's a domestic outfit. It's great. And you know he is he's the main servant and he's the one who introduces um Brad and Janet to the world of the to the time warp world of of Frankenfurter he's the one who starts the song you know it's astounding and it's he's also the guy who wrote the whole show that's the thing that really, that really amazes me when i watch him is that all of these songs all these parts you know um you know, Damn It, Janet, uh, Hoppa Tootie, everything, Frankenstein Place, the whole thing is all out of the head of Riff Raff. We're watching Riff Raff's fever dream, you know, as we, as we watch this film. Um, so I, and it took me years and years and years before I was, before I was ever aware of that. Um, so there's Riff, and does anybody have anything that they want to add about Riff Raff? Uh, well... And if not, I'll go right on to Magenta. We got these two girls. We got Magenta and uh, and Columbia, and they are the sort of sexy the the, the other domestics. Uh, you know, basically Frankenfurter, as we as it appears, he has he's got an enormous party going on with a whole bunch of guests wearing groovy Elton John shades and tuxedos and differently colored cummerbunds. But he's also got a staff. He's got Riff. And then he's got Magenta and Columbia. Now, in the original description of Columbia, who is played by Little Nell, and she's this really cute lady with short red hair, she was listed as the groupie, whereas Magenta is listed as the maid. But the way they're presented in the movie, they're basically both maids. <clears throat> or both and, Yeah, and, and uh, you know, the difference is that Magenta is very sort of vampiric and clearly has a sort of oddly... Uh, intimate relationship with 
Riff, who we also come to understand is her brother, but it's never, you know, but their relationship is not necessarily sexual so much as just sort of sensual. It's really impossible to say. Yeah, and, well, that's another, another thing go ahead, please. Huh? No, please. Go ahead. Yeah. No, this definitely mm. is especially incestuous. Um, but that's actually something that, that another thing that the audience always yells at is elbow sex whenever they do their little dance. Yes. <laughs> We're like elbow sex. <laughs> yeah, they have a bit of choreography where they'll touch fingertips and then they'll come close and their whole arms will sort of roll up until their elbows touch and then back, which is great. Again, these are kissing siblings, so uh so yeah. I mean and once again this is O'Brien showing us all kinds of, of deviant sexuality. Um and uh, this, by the way, is the moment when Charmin, the director, wanted to have a Wizard of Oz-style transition. He really wanted to do this thing where it would be black and white through the whole experience up to now. And then when Tim Curry says, well, you've come on a very special night, you see, and he starts the beginning of, of the time warp where he says, it's astounding, time is fleeting, he'd throw open the door to the ballroom and it would be in color and that would be this this sort of this sort of crazy transition to this vibrant uh newly sexualized world and when you think of it that way if you think of like the gay scene of the 70s as well that idea of becoming aware of of this this vibrant world that you didn't know was there you know makes a little bit more sense um, but they didn't do that. I mean, the the studio was not interested in that at all. They thought nobody's going to get that. That's it's just going to be so artsy. And I think that's right. I mean, I don't think they would have. I don't think I would have stopped and gone, oh yeah, because it's a new world opening up. Because you know, it's clearly that. <laughs> it's, it's obviously a new world. Um, they do the time warp. I think the time warp is the one song that everybody remembers the most when they think of this picture. Well, and again, part of the audience participation is that you do, is that you do the dance. And everybody and you yell different dance. things. You do you yell different things. So you do, um, you know, like it says, uh, put your hands on your hips, and everybody says, or somebody else's, and then bring your knees in tight, and it's like, and then do the pelvic thrust. Everybody goes, group sex, group sex, group sex. Right. I mean, you just can't not, you know, again, not do it. No, you're right. Uh, the the time warp is the th- is is absolutely what, what people remember the most um, about going. And I, and I think it's if I ask people to listen to the song. What's that, Jamie? Huh? It's like the song, it's the song that you, they play at weddings, you know. It's like you That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's it's become it's become so annoying to me actually. It's so it's so funny how how these sort of midnight showings and, and art theater kind of stuff have been sort of co opted so much by the mainstream that really frankly Rocky is not remotely Rocky is not that deviant now. I mean, we're not all transvestites, we're 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 not all incestuous, but seeing it in a movie is not just, it's not shocking, I don't think, to, to see it today. At least I don't feel like it's all that shocking. Well, Rocky Rocky has become pop culture. You know, the Rocky horror has become yeah. part of pop culture. It's, it's become the very thing that it was lampooning. It's become part of the the pop culture landscape. And, you know, that, it, that was inevitable. Either it was going to shrivel up and die and just become another B-movie, or, you know, it's become what it's become. And if, yeah. If that's... Well, and there's there's the the 
common so I can't remember who made a reason. Maybe it was Camille Paglia. I totally don't remember. But it, but they were saying, you know, don't be fooled. I mean, if you're interested in, if if you're interested in, say, marriage equality or any any number of other issues that 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 might appeal to you if you're interested in in gay rights. You know, some of the writers recently I've read have said, don't be fooled. Just because people have mainstreamed Rocky Horror and are interested in watching movies about gay people does does not mean that they're that they're taking the full step into recognizing um, alternate lifestyles as being something real in their own lives. In other words, that is a bridge too far. However, in pop culture terms, these things have become a lot a lot more acceptable. Um, right, and I mean, I think it's because it's a ca- it's a caricature. It's like it's like watching um, somebody, uh, you know, like the the well, you remember how the uh, the Taco Bell uh, the the Taco Bell dog was like, yeah, you're going to Taco, Taco Bell, and yeah. everybody thought it was really funny and everything. But there was a lot of people who were like, that's actually kind of racist, you know, stereotyping. It's like stereotyping Mexican people with this accent and everything. I don't know. I mean, I just well, that's think a really good they, point. I, I mean, that there are a lot of guys who object. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Julia. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying. I, could, I think it could be the opposite of embracing um, yeah. equal rights. It could be sort of caricature of, of the, you know, like just saying, oh, look how, look how, look how disgusting well, these people are. Look how, you know. There's a certain kind of homophobe who would never, never, never go to Rocky Horror Picture Show. That that That's like not true. Here. That's not true. You definitely would have homophobes who are like, you know, like that would go to, to Rocky Horror because it's it's this whole. Midnight wild party, um, I suppose you know, whole thing. It's nothing that's to a, do that's with. a good point. But those yeah. same and and it's 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 also but true. Those same people. Are, are, people hmm. people go to Rocky just to get laid. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Because girls are going to go there. I mean, you know, the the and and what's funny is this one has become so mainstream and so so accepted that you might go to Rocky Horror on and and enjoy it and then at the same time really object to a kissing scene because your college is also putting on rent you know right. and so I, that'll happen and i don't know that's that's very interesting but also this movie treats the sexually perverted people as bad guys you know and so i mean yes you know, there's not. You don't have to like them to think that. Well, and there have been plenty of of gay writers who said, you know, don't do me any favors with with the parades and the and and you know a lot of this this sort of stuff. A lot of these details have only served to alienate, you know, real people with real right. political issues from right, cause the because they're not because yeah because I can continue to believe that the gay community is not like me. They're not part of my life. They're just those guys over there that dress funny. Oh, you know. It's important. It's important to note that that you know the people. You know, it's not like just the kinky sex that. And and Frank is bi. He's not gay. But I mean, the kinky sex that is is going on here. You know, that's not necessarily what makes him a bad guy. What makes him a bad guy is that he is. He's a killer. Murderous. <laughs> he's murderous, and he's also a cannibal. Yes. Yes. Frank is so. Yeah. Let, we, we should get right to that. So Frank is a bad dude. We, okay. We met the we met the crew. So we've met basically everyone um, until we come to the first victim. What we find out about Frank because we do the time warp. Frank comes on and he sings his song all about himself, which we talked about a little bit already. Where he is, he describes himself as a sweet transvestite. And you know he describes. And by the himself, way, transsexual Transylvania is a planet. Is a city and a planet. Yes. Or a planet. Or I'm sorry, a planet and a galaxy. I think it is. So it's not. It's not a town. It's not Transylvania, the country, and it's not supposed to mean that everybody's there is transsexual. It's actually 
the planet transsexual from the galaxy Transylvania, I think. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. I'm glad you clarified that because because yes, he's not he's not. And I, I know that sounded sarcastic, but it totally wasn't. I, it is it is worth making a note of that that Frank is hinting to us, and we don't understand it yet, that he's from another place, and none of none of this is really going to equate to human behavior. But uh, he introduces himself in his in his really awesome opening number where he does all the vamping that we talked about earlier. And then his his performance where he gets all this adulation, and that's the thing that he loves the most, is interrupted by the arrival of a rock and roll star. And that rock and roll star is Meatloaf as Eddie. And this is this is Drew's favorite character. He just bursts out of a wall in in ways that I don't completely understand. Tell me tell me, Drew, what's your thing with Eddie? What's the deal? Well, first of all, you know, when I was I was a teenager and I was, you know, kind of getting into punk rock and rockabilly and, you know, what, what eventually mutates into psychobilly, like Eddie kind of epitomizes that. He's got this crazy leopard print leather jacket and, you know, he, he bursts out and he's got of this, this ice block on a motorcycle and... <clears throat> At the, he is literally the only character in the entire film that upstages Frank. Like, when he is on screen, you know, this is the coolest Meatloaf has ever been. Like, I don't think Meatloaf is, is, is often, like, you know, people usually use Meatloaf. You know, he's got some good songs, but he, he's, he's often kind of the butt of a, a lot of jokes. Well, Meatloaf is, is very, very cool as Eddie, and he looks cool. The song is great, and you know he's got such attitude. Like even when he's doing the sax, like the sax solo, I love the fact that like they've got that close up where he kicks. He literally just kicks the camera for yes. one second, and that's that is why he had to die because he upstaged his friend. Mm-hmm. He completely yeah, and Magenta is totally uh, sorry. Columbia, Columbia is totally in love with him. Um, I've never. I've never dissed Meatloaf. I, I I love Meatloaf. You know, at the same time, I was listening to a lot of Rocky. I was probably listening to Battle to Hell just as much. Right, but um, but to be fair, you also like Bread and Steely Dan, so there's that. I don't even understand what that's. <laughs> Let, can, can you at least give me that I, that, 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 that Meatloaf left to his own devices is not this not this punk rock. Right. No, that's true. That's absolutely right. Meatloaf Meatloaf had. You know, Milov has a sensibility that that is. He still loves his frilly shirts and 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 the handkerchiefs and and the Jim Steinman songs. So you're right. He is Celine Dion in a male body with a motorcycle. That's true. You know, <laughs> um, but but I don't know where the random diss of Steely Dan comes from. It's going to let that way there. <laughs> <laughs> That Jason is a bit of a Brad Majors. <laughs> I'm not Brad Majors. Oh, Brad um, Majors. Yes, a little bit, a little bit Brad Majors-y. <laughs> it may well be. All right, so uh, I, I love. I actually love Brad's line where he goes, "Say, do any of you know how to Madison?" I love. I I, I love just how how. Appalling, he is. He's a hardy boy, essentially. So, um, 
Absolutely. We we introduce Eddie, and you know he comes busting out of the wall. I think he is in there because part of his brain has been removed to work on the monster that uh, that Frank has been working on. Because Frank hints that he's working on a monster, and or he's making a man, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, well, no, he actually does the line. The the he hasn't he hasn't done the number yet, but he's mentioned that he's working on something. So. Um, yeah, uh, Eddie comes out. He's got a scar on his forehead. I think he's been in the freezer. So he's busted out. He does his performance. Columbia loves him. And Frank has had enough of Eddie taking the spotlight from him. So Frank attacks Eddie with an ice pick. It's amazing how quickly this show moves along, right? Off because, screen, off screen. Right. He attacks him off screen. He goes into the freezer after him, and then he, and then you see... You know, blood everywhere as he comes out. Well, that's right. In the same manner that this movie has essentially no nudity, none, zero, uh, it also, I mean, other than the statues, there is, uh, there's also very little blood, you know, considering that there's some, some violence here. It's a very, very, you know, the movie is actually quite tame, except for all of the content that is not actually on the screen. Um, that, that's, that's what makes it one of the most, most complicated uh, adult pictures around because you know it's not por- pornographic in any sense, and it doesn't have graphic violence. But yeah, he attacks he attacks Eddie with this ice chunking tool, and uh, that's the end of Eddie. Um, and that's when they go to the. I think that's the point where they go and bring the monster to life, and we meet the monster, and the monster is the eponymous Rocky. He's Rocky. Um, Rocky is a huh, is a hunky, blonde, you know, muscular model. Adonis. Yes, he is. He's an Adonis. He's he has he has a perfect body. Interestingly enough, he's not built like Mr. Universe or anything. He he's built kind of like Tarzan. He's an extremely, you know, elongated, very athletic, muscular, you know. Um, creature and you know so rocky sings the song in just seven days i can make you a man which is a a reference to the comic book ads that richard o'brien would have seen in the back of all the comics he was reading as a kid where charles atlas would sell his exercise regimes and it was you know it was in you know in seven days you can get results in just seven days i can make you a man i will say that um a lot of the stuff that audience participation at least in my my day did and I don't know if it's gotten more PC since then. It was actually pretty awfully, pretty horribly offensive. <laughs> you know, like when I think about it now, I'm like, well, because for that one, we would say in just seven days, and then everybody would go in seven nights, I can make you. Everybody would go a fag just like your dad. Now I'm like, I don't right. think I want to say that now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, it, it is, it's funny. You listen to it now and you go, holy God. You know, would would you sing that today? Do they still sing that? I have no idea. I, I don't know, um, and, and and yeah. So so a lot of the audience participation stuff is sort of blatantly either blatantly homophobic or teasingly homophobic. One or the other, it's homophobic, and and I, offensive. I don't know. offensive in other ways too. Not just I mean, they're just offensive all all throughout. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of like scatological stuff and all kinds of you know. But but that using using that word is a tough one. You know, I, I don't know if I would do that in 2013. You know, it's that's a tough one. I, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I I, I got to go to the audience for this. I, I have no idea. Um, 
So we create this beautiful, as Jamie calls him, this this blonde Adonis, this man, and uh, he comes to life. And what I can't remember is how do we get from there to Janet sleeping with Rocky? I, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm missing something here. Because, oh, you're missing um, you're missing uh, the fact that uh, Frank is going around messing around with both. He tricks. Oh uh, yeah, that's what that's what happens next. Brad. Okay. Yeah. They bring the monster to life and they all go to bed. And it's like, okay. So they they that's the with, with, with each other. With each other. Right. With each other. Yeah, they right. really don't go to bed with each other. They go to bed separately. Right. And Frank goes in first to it's, Janet it's and to Brad. Right. right. So Frank comes in and seduces each of the uh of of the newlyweds by pretending to be the other. And it is um man, that's that's a really raunchy scene and it's it's really cool. Um it's it's well done. And 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 so yeah, we do see Frank avidly in silhouette by the way, once again, because this is all told a pretty clean picture. Uh he sort of avidly seduces each of them and that's funny. Um and then uh um Somehow or another, I think that what happens is Riff, who is who is angry about the creature for reasons that are that are unclear, um, winds up causing the the creature to run away. So the creature is running around and winds up in the arms of of Janet, who has been sexually awakened by her experience with Frank. And so Janet sings "Touch a Touch a Touch Me." Because first of all, she's been sexually awakened. Second, she spies on a on a um, closed circuit TV that that Brad has been sleeping with Frank, and so she sleeps with the monster. And you know, my God! So at at this point, we start to slowly make our way around to uh, a lot of plot. And I I, I don't want to like work my way through every bit of it. But basically, now we've set up all of the. <clears throat> all the conflict that there's going to be. We established that Riff has a major problem with with Frank, and where we where we eventually get to, Riff has just had enough. Frank is off on his own. He's making monsters. He's doing all kinds of things, um, and Riff decides that he's going to reveal to us the reality of the plot, which is somehow. <laughs> I, I almost hesitate to say this out loud. They are aliens from outer space. Riff and Magenta are uh, and Frank are three aliens who have come to Earth to do Lord knows what, and they are going to they're going to take Frank back to uh, to the planet. And so the 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 end of the movie, and, and and we'll go back for a second to the floor show, but the end of the movie is basically all about Riff seizing control back from Frankenfurter, who's gone, like, way, way out of control. So the second half of the movie is Riff, Raff, and Magenta, we are the believe Riff, Raff, and Magenta are the moderate right. of this culture somehow. Right, and they're... <laughs> Which is which is wonderfully crazy, yeah. But it, it totally is about you know. Riff says, "I'm your new commander. It's time for us to leave." I really like that he's like, "No, I've had enough of your crazy shit." And, well, and then and then, and then uh, Frank says, "I'm going." Things I'm going home, but yes. then they make it clear to him that, "Oh wait, no, actually, you won't be going anywhere. We're going to kill you now right. <laughs> with our awesome ray gun." 
that we yes. have. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm not a hunchback after all. I'm standing up perfectly straight now that I have my cool alien costume on. Yes. Well, and, you know, and, and Richard O'Brien also gets to sing more at the end there. There's, there, there is this, the, the one thing that, that we miss as I ran over that there is the floor show. Because at one point, Frank manages to capture all of the heroes, you know, and uh, including... I, we don't even have time to get into Dr. Scott, the hmm. scientist who comes, who's who's been researching. Uh, you mean Frank. Dr. Vaughn Scott? Dr. Vaughn Scott. <laughs> Great really Scott. <laughs> yet another, it's yet another cast <laughs> Well, he's and he's yet another cast member from from the London stage. Uh, so. Oh, and, and you did you did you talk hmm. about? Eating Eddie? I don't remember if you talked about that. No. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, they ate Eddie. Frank, <laughs> at some point in all of this, forgive me, but at at some point before they all seduce one another, um, Frank proves once and for all that he's not going to be, you know, he's, he's a nasty piece of work. He doesn't want anybody else to get attention besides him. And so to get his revenge, he has chopped up Eddie and cooked a bunch of them and served it to the rest of them. And it's, it's, that's a, it's a pretty grotesque scene. And the, 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 the subject. Yes. <laughs> Attend the subject. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, that, that, that's well done. He, he reveals it with a really bit of horror movie flourish where he pulls away the, uh, the tablecloth and reveals well, he, it. No, he reveals it with a comment about, uh, I can't remember what no, the they, Yeah, they all get the, the comment about the tender subject. <laughs> and, then, and then again, with the audience participation, as they show each person, every audience goes, you know, like, um, Brad gets it, Janet gets it, <laughs> Columbia gets it or whatever, and they're like, Rocky doesn't get it, because Rocky's kind of like eating. <laughs> yes. It's really funny. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and that's so, that's, that's when, you know, if we've, Unfortunately, we can never completely turn against Frank because he's still the most interesting person on the screen. But we know that he's very, very bad. You know, he is—he's—he's he's a bad dude. He's extremely jealous, and you know, and he killed Meatloaf and served him up. So that's—that um, is something that must be punished. But he first manages to get the upper hand on everybody. He freezes them all. You know, turns them into statues, dresses them up in drag, puts them on a stage, and then makes them dance a floor show when he re, when he, uh, you know, brings them back. And the floor show, which uh, I'm trying to remember the, the the name of the song. Anyway, the floor show is when all the characters reveal that they have been, they what's well, called floor show. They've been tainted by their experience with uh, Frankenfurter. And that's when finally Riff goes, no, we're done. I'm shutting you down. We're getting in our rocket ship and we're going home. The rocket ship is actually almost the the entire castle. Um, I want to wrap that's this up so, so we can dream get... dream it, be it. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, that, there's this whole period where they give they give Frank time to do an aria where he sings an entire bit about, you know, his... Which I do love that song, too. <laughs> no. Don't dream it, be it. Is, that's a great is, one. That that's actually that, that's what's kind of complicated here because "Don't Dream It, Be It" is the kind of the slogan, the unofficial slogan of the show, and yet Frank has been it 
to the point of going too far and needs to be reeled back in. But you're right. He's our guide when he says, you know, don't just dream about the things you want to do. Actually do them. You know, don't dream it, be it. And that's, you know, that's wonderful. I, I really I really do love that. So it's it's complicated because he's also the one who's way the most out of control. He's a prophet in a sense. Um, well, is it, if it, it, he is a wonderfully 1970s character in that way. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that the character almost epitomizes the 1970s. He's he's in a way the the death of glam rock and the birth of punk rock. Wow. Wow. Well said. You should write that into an essay. Honestly, that would be really. <laughs> That is really cool. Yes. No, I agree. And, and um, you're right. Uh, glam rock dies when when Freddie gets shot in his whole Joan Collins outfit. And um, they all take off. Basically, the aliens. You mean Fra- Frankie? I mean, Frank? Riff? Well, like Freddie. Freddie. <laughs> Freddie. I think you were thinking about Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, yeah. <laughs> oh. Riff and Magenta take off in their rocket ship, and they leave our heroes behind to get sort of scorched, although not necessarily killed or even close to killed by the by the rocket as it's taking off, because they're less sort of crawling in the earth like worms. And what's really great is that we close on this this uh, these lines from Superheroes, the final song, where it says, "And crawling upon the planet's face." some insects called the human race, and we see them them crawling, and they are insect-like in the way that they are left behind, sort of stunned by the experience they've had and the aliens leaving um, and leaving them in, in the wake of this, of this rocket ship. Um, that final song is, is just outstanding, and, and uh, I, I always regret that it's essentially cut out. Of, <laughs> of the movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> the, whole, the whole song is in the English one, and for some reason, it, it's it's only only part of it's in the American one, and I think that's strange. But there's the there's at least a few lines of uh, doesn't um I think that the criminologist reads at least the couplet yeah. falling upon the planet's face. We just don't get to um we, we don't we don't get to hear the whole thing. And and it's just as well. I think the studio thought that superheroes was just a downer, you know, to actually come out and because it's a whole song. Jamie, it's a groovy song. You would dig it. You should go get the cast recording and hear it, you know, because it's all about. Uh, but it's a downer song. It's a weird one to end on. So instead, they just give us a couple of lines from it recited by the criminologist, and and we're out. And it's funny that that we don't end on like some kind of overture or something, um, I think we do reprise science fiction double feature. So so that makes sense. So that we've spent yeah. a long time talking about this. Um, we should come around and, and talk about our final thoughts about Rocky Horror Picture Show because I know that I've missed a million things and that you guys... Oh, so favorite you know, song. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do this. Let's go around and instead of regular final thoughts... Give me your favorite song, and then any, and then of course anything else that you want to throw in there. And we can go. Let's uh, switch it up. Let's go, Jamie, uh, Drew, Joya, and then and then I'll go. Favorite song and final thoughts, Jamie. Oh, let's see. I like Rocky Horror's little 
you know, farewell, not Rockefeller, Dr. Frankfurter's song, but I think I have to probably go with There's a Light at the Frankenstein House. Yes, Frankenstein Place. You know, I I just it's so I just think it's such a, a pretty song and it's so dark and you know, fortuitous. I just I don't know. I really I think that's my favorite. So. Any final thoughts? But I recommend. <laughs> you know, so it depends on. Uh, I guess. Not every, it's it's a movie that's not for everybody, but I feel like everybody should see it at some point. Yes. All right. Um, Drew, favorite song and final thoughts? Uh, well, uh, my favorite song is, as previously mentioned, uh, Whatever Happened to Saturday Night, otherwise known mm. as Opportunity, Bless My Soul. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a really catchy song, uh, Meatloaf sings it incredibly well. It's it's a style of music I really enjoy and uh it's it's definitely in a in a in a movie with a lot of really interesting uh scenes. It's definitely a high point in the in the movie. Um final thoughts, I mean I, I will echo my, my better half here. It's, it may not be for everybody, but everybody should see it at least once. Um I don't think you need to see it in the theater to appreciate it. I think the theater experience is something different, but uh, you can get a different kind of enjoyment out of it and on home video, too, and I would recommend seeing it both ways for a full appreciation of uh, this, this particular part of popular culture. Julia, what about you? Uh, favorite song and final thoughts? My favorite song is probably Time Warp. I just think it's so much fun, and I love that there's dancing to it. <laughs> Since I like dancing and singing, so for me, it's you know, it's got the best of both worlds. Um, and final thoughts are that Jamie needs to go watch it in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we um, gotta take her. Too. Maybe if she comes to town, we we can all go see Rocky. I mean, are you kidding me? That would be great. I, I would, would I really would love fun. to do that. Yes. That'd be cool. All right. Um, for me, uh, the, the my favorite song is, is "There's a Light" over at the Frankenstein Place. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I guess the song is called "Over at Over at the Frankenstein Place," and I, I just love it. I love the I love the pounding of it. I, I love the the way the song builds. It's it's a you know a beautiful piece. But I'll, I really like the soundtrack. You know, so this is this is going to be one of my favorite musicals we're going to do. I think this is a, a movie that almost. I, any adult can enjoy. I, I just can't imagine who wouldn't benefit from watch, watching Rocky Horror Picture Show. It, 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 it really. I think it's a cool one. Um, when we started, I had this thought that that I wondered if it was wrong to watch the movie in the theater when it wasn't the way you would experience, you know, the the movie as originally conceived. You know, because Richard O'Brien clearly didn't didn't imagine all the experience. And as we've talked about it, I've realized that that's an antiquated way of looking at it for me, because the experience is still going on, but it's been available on home video now for nearly 20 years. So people are as likely to have watched it on DVD or on streaming video than in the live experience. And it possibly may be that most people are going to be watching it 
the old-fashioned way, just popping it in and, and watching the whole movie, than seeing the live experience. So now I have to flip my concern and wonder, has that unique live experience been lost? You know, and, and so, Jamie, maybe you should go do it before it disappears from the planet's face. I don't I'm going to do it at the Alamo, too, down here in Austin. Um, I'm not sure which one. I know one of them doesn't. Right, uh, right. I, oh, no, it's always somewhere, but... But uh, and Drew's Drew's saying dream on Jason the the live experience. Yeah, is not I don't going. think there's any danger of Rocky Horror ever dying. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Okay, so um, by the way, next week we will be back with uh, Phantom of the Paradise. That is the next movie in the musical Mr. horror Tony. retrospective. So uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I'm very excited about that. Um, we gonna are we gonna do endorsements. Yeah, let's do the endorsements. Yes. Um, so why don't you guys go? Because I need to consult my notes and remember what, what my endorsement was. So uh, Jamie and then Drew. Well, I just finished reading. Uh, let's see. What was the name of my book? Redemption Song, The Ballad of Joe Strummer by uh, Chris Salowich. Pretty good uh, biography, very sexual. Um, yeah. It was funny because it starts with the, uh, you know, the death of Joe Strummer, and of course ends with the death of Joe Strummer. But I was moved to tears by the end of it. I just felt like, oh, I lost a friend. Even though, of course, I never knew Joe Strummer. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you uh, if you're in for a good read, you know, it's a long read, but like six hundred something pages about Joe Strummer. What was Strummer, it called again? So, you know. Um, it's actually a redemption song, The Ballad of Joe Strummeter. So okay. it's the definitive biography. Oh, it's pretty good. Very cool. Uh, Drew, do you have do you have any endorsements for us? I do, actually. I've been sitting on this for a few weeks now. But uh, I, I want to echo Tony's earlier endorsement of Dread, which is the, the recent mm. Judge Dread movie. Um, you know, I was... I, I, I am probably one of the few people that's actually a fan of the Stallone movie, even though I will acknowledge it's not very good and it's not a very good adaptation of the material. But I don't think I have ever quite seen an actor working so hard to be a two-dimensional drawing as Carl Urban is. Like, he really looks like a drawing of Judge Dredd. I mean, there's this perpetual scowl he has on his face, and if you are even vaguely familiar with the Judge Dredd comic books, it's the exact same scowl that the artists draw him with in every single Judge Dredd story. It's an odd comic book movie because... Oh, Oh, no. We lost Drew. <laughs> it's an odd comic book movie, and then the powers of oh, evil. He's still going too. <laughs> he'll he'll come back. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, he's still going. Oh no. knows. Here, well, okay. Here. All right. That's funny. All right. Um, I will, wow. Um, uh, uh, wow. That's weird. Oh, you're back. Good. Um, where, did, where did you lose me? It's <laughs> um, an odd we, comic book drawing. Yeah, it's an odd uh, choice because. Well. Most comic book movies these days, they try to cram in as much of the mythology of the comic book as they possibly can. This, they basically, this could be one single issue of Judge Dredd. You know, it, it's just a single issue of the of 
in a, just a single story involving this character and like a day in his life and the sort of bizarre science fiction landscape. And if even if you've never picked up a Judge Dredd comic book, uh, if you just like violent action that is actually geared towards adults, this is a good one. Hmm. Very cool. All right. Um, I, let's see. What what would I endorse? Uh, you know, the, on, do, I get, uh, do I get to endorse something? Oh no! Please, please do. That gives me another thirty, forty seconds to decide what I'm what I'm going to. Um, well, I just wanted to uh, do a little self uh, promotion. I've started a um, a podcast, another podcast, with a high school friend of mine um, named Laura Mullane, and we are doing a podcast about uh, being like just the the good, the bad, and the ugly of being parents. And it's called Pod Moms, <laughs> and um, so if you are a parent or want to know about what it's like to be a parent, and um, you just want to listen to some people talk about their challenges and successes and observations, then please join us. Uh, you can either find us on Facebook or on iTunes by searching Pod Moms. That is very awesome. cool. Uh, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I'm I'm very excited about Pod Moms. I I, I really am. <laughs> so Julia is the only one among us now who's going to be doing two podcasts a week. That's that's amazing. Um, all right. The, the the only thing that I that I want to I want to endorse right away. I've really gotten into watching a lot of movies on streaming, just like leaving them running as I as I work. And I may have mentioned this before, but if you have Netflix, I totally recommend that you uh, that I have two streaming thoughts. One is go watch Dark Shadows because watching Dark Shadows will put you in the mind of a totally different universe, where you know, it, after a while, if you just let hour after hour after hour of Dark Shadows play, the wobbling of the sets, the the sort of echoey of the echoing of the soundstage, it all beco- becomes less like a stage and like a low-budget soap opera and more like just another weird universe where that's how these people's world is. And it's, it's very cool. I, I only discovered Dark Shadows in the last couple of years, and I have gone, you know, utterly bonkers over it. So so that's one. The other is, if you are a fan of MST3K, Mystery Science Theater 3000, Hulu.com now has a whole bunch of really awesome riff tracks, which is the same guys, just under a new name, uh, riff tracks versions of some awesome horror movies, including The House on Haunted Hill and Plan 9 from Outer Space. So you should hide the hither over to Hulu.com and check out Plan 9 from Outer Space and House on Haunted Hill because they are funny as heck in the hands of, of the MST3K team. Um, and that's and that's it for me. Uh, we'll be back next week continuing the musical horror retrospective. I am so thrilled everybody had the patience to come back and get Rocky Horror going. I'm so glad that we're back on track. You guys were wonderful. And uh, please um, listen to us, subscribe to us on Facebook, leave comments, leave suggestions, anything you want. We will always listen and always respond. Um, Thank you, guys. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Good night. Have a great night. Night. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.